Hi, welcome to And It's Writing, a live stream and podcast where two writers have a few drinks and some laughs while we revise or revisit our old work or new work as it is today. Uh, I'm DC McNaughton and uh, I am a speculative fiction writer, uh, soon to be historical fiction writer. And um, right now I am reading oh, a few books because I'm trying to find my place in a new book after finishing The a Secret History by Donna Tartt. I am, I've poked my nose into, uh, Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt recently. I'm trying out Addie LaRue, um, by V.E. Schwab, um, and also the Royal Assassin in Robin Hobbs series. Uh, so working on a few different things, trying to sort of find my place. And I'm not sure if I found what I want to read yet. So that might be changing next week. It's not that any of the books are bad because they're all great. I just, I'm not really jiving with what I'm writing right now. So it's not working for me. I know that feeling. Um, yeah. And I'm Avery Ames. Um, I write adult fantasy. And um, what I'm working on is a revision. Uh, it was a rewrite, but I kind of got most of the rewriting done. And now I am revising to make a final draft. We're going to hope it's final draft. <laughs> Big air quotes there. Final. Final, final two for reals this time. Dot, doc. Um, you got this. <laughs> and what I'm reading <laughs> is... Um, kind of like you I'm reading a few different things I've kind of just been poking my head into things and nothing really jived except the one thing that I've been reading and very much enjoying is I have fallen down a rabbit hole of short fiction um short fiction romance monster books <laughs> some of them nice. smuttier than others um nice. the ones I really liked were actually uh by Avita Weiss who writes um, very smutty, very short one shots. They're very queer. And the thing that they do the best is they're very consensual, which is my big hiccup when it comes to reading romance. Um, I have a very, very strict line on consent. And um, these are very much in line with that. And so I am enjoying them a lot. Consent so. is important. So yeah, so that's kind of our intro and today we're going to be discussing the do's and don'ts of first person present tense um which it's just for a quick definition uh, it's the tense that uses i we me pronouns and um, present tense verbs so it'll be like i opened the door before the bell rings um and it's it can be much maligned a lot of people don't like it um so yeah do you have thoughts um, not yet. Just want to throw out the usual oh. reminder that writing is not all about rules. When we're writing, we do sometimes need to take a break from them as well. Uh, we're both firm believers that if rules feel too suffocating or overwhelming, ignore them and just write. Um, yeah, I didn't want to get too far into the. Yeah, I skipped ahead because before. I also skipped the drink part. We're we'll go back to that too. <laughs> we're gonna go. We're gonna backpedal. Backtrack. Um, backtrack. But before we do, we're uh, rusty. Kind of we're a little rusty. Script, I I do want to uh, apologize for uh, the, the last two episodes being canceled because, you know, uh, and just say, you know, when when you need a break and you need to take care of your mental health, make sure to do it. Yeah. And 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 then, you know, because because both Avery and I are, you know, we're we're kind of on the same boat in that aspect. And I ended up having to cancel one of the days and I felt kind of bad about it. But I just did. You know, I want to 
tell our viewers that if you need, as a writer especially, you need that headspace to be clear. You need your space. Give yourself that. Mm-hmm. You, you deserve it. Yeah, if you need a mental health day, take a mental health day. Yeah. Um, as for the drinks, um, I think you're going first with that. I will go first. Um, once more, we're kind of reading some some recent scenes. And so I based my drink on the scene that I'm going to be reading, which is it's based on a drink called The Last Word, uh, which is a gin-based drink that also has chartreuse, lime, and maraschino in it um mine it's it's the last word and you'll find out why when i read the scene but i also wanted kind of an herbaceous note because there's a tree in the scene and kind of a funeral type note because there's a mourning element to it so i added matcha and elderflower to the last word so it is very very green i'm gonna hold it up and it's partially gonna be a little bit of a ghost cup ghost cup uh because of my green screen but you can kind of see that it's like this algae green color because of the matcha um i made my own drink for the first time and actually tried um (laughs) uh i'm not as great as cocktails at cocktails as avery but you know um i called mine greatest ceo in the world because uh of the clip that I'm going to share with you guys later. Um, Basically, it is a view, it is kind of a character's perspective of this other guy who's uh, the very rich CEO of this company, but the protagonist talking about the CEO is kind of like a cinnamon roll. So he's very sweet and naive, um, but he's talking about, you know, a very um, big wig kind of guy. So I made a scotch old fashioned and added um some of what uh some maple cherry shrubs that avery made me and um i made uh the old-fashioned with lagavulin 16 years scotch so it's very smoky and very cherry and it's i ruined it and and scotch fans everywhere are going to kill me and i don't care because my character is a sweet little bun and he doesn't know that you're supposed to you know, leave classy things classy. He doesn't know classes. Well, he does. Yeah. He now that I've tr- now that I've tried that Lagavulin, I'm just like, <gasps> I but know. I'll, I'll survive. I'll survive. I know. Deep breaths. Yeah. I'll make it. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna center myself. <laughs> <laughs> you can do this. You can do this. And you know, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay that I I destroyed Scotch like this. You Cheers. know. Honestly, I make jokes about it, but I am very much of the firm belief that if you like something, it doesn't matter what anybody else, like when it comes to like mixing drinks, it's like, if you like it, then it's your drink. And if anybody else tells you, it's just like the people who are like, you shouldn't put ketchup on a hot dog. And I'm like, if you like ketchup on a hot dog, eat ketchup on a hot dog. Who the fuck says not to put ketchup on a hot dog? Oh, a lot of people think it should only be mustard. It's a thing. I I personally prefer mustard, but I'm not going to like yell at anybody for using ketchup. I'm like, it's your hot dog. So it's the same way with, mm. with cocktails. It's your hot dog. You fit, you mix whatever into it you want. In Detroit, we put beans on our hot dogs. Actually, that sounds really chili. good. Chili. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, like chili dog? Yeah. Chili, yeah, it's chili like chili. Dog. I actually think Detroit chili has no beans in it. Actually, just, <laughs> it's just meat. I think it's just beef. <laughs> yeah. Also delicious. Yeah. But anyway. Okay, now back to the topic. <laughs> Yeah, uh, um, I haven't eaten dinner yet. I'm just like mm, hot dogs. Um, 
<laughs> so, uh, back to the topic. So, we kind of discussed what first present is, um, and a lot of people seem like they don't like it, but it's also been used in like some really popular and really acclaimed books. So I have a little list here. So it's not, this is by no means an extent exhaustive list, but uh, for example, the hunger games by Suzanne Collins, which was like a huge blockbuster hit used first person present um, the seven or seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, depending on which side of the ocean you're on uh, by Stuart Turton is a speculative mystery. It won a handful of awards. It was also first present. The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, which was a really popular thriller, got a film adaptation, also first present. And Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel, which won the Man Booker Prize, is also first present. And that was a historical fiction. So, like, these are all books that are very well acclaimed and or very popular. And they all use first present. So, yeah, a lot of people don't like it, but a lot of people obviously do. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, several years ago, I remember talking to you back when we first met and we had this conversation about first present. And I don't remember when it came up or what it was about, but I basically remember saying I can't stand it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how the turntables. Oh, how the turntables have turned. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Mentioned I hated it. Mentioned I probably would never read it. Um, then I ended up writing a book uh, in first past. And it just didn't, it didn't have that uh, immediacy that present can have. And I remember finishing that whole book in first past and then looking at it and being like, fuck, <laughs> like, this is not, this is not how this book should be written like this is this is this is not right it's not immediate enough it's not it it does it feels like I'm looking back at something instead of sitting in it um and I wanted to sit in it for this one so that's actually the book I'm working on now I took a two-year break from working on it and now I and then I've rewritten it um so yeah and now that I'm actually writing it there are so many things so many beautiful things you can do in first present that you can't do in any other writing style and so exciting well that's kind of a thing for well two things first off that's why one of the things i do now because i've also made the same mistake is i i write the first couple chapters and i kind of like stop and take a moment and go okay is this the tense and the point of view i really want for this book because i really don't want to have to rewrite the whole thing into a new tense or pov um because i have had to do that um and then also you were talking about the immediacy being a factor and that's actually one of the things that I have on my little notes here is that first present or any either present tense you don't see as much third present uh but it does exist Addie LaRue is third present um Mm -hmm. actually one of the Evita Vice shorts that I read was third present (laughs) um it's getting popular yeah and it really works when it works um but it's it's each tense and each pov accomplishes something different for the reader and present tense does have that immediacy because you are like you said you're living in the moment as it happens rather than being told it after the fact and also especially for like thrillers and mysteries in particular it gives you that element and horror as well it gives you that element of uncertainty because in a past you're assuming the protagonist makes it through 
because they're telling you the story later and it's subconscious you don't always like think about it that way but in your brain you're like oh well they're gonna make it through they're the main character and they're telling me the story now but if it's present tense like i said especially if it's horror and thriller they might not make it (laughs) because you're living it as it happens and that happens a lot in horror where it's like and they die (laughs) the end yep yeah yeah and and you know sometimes I think sometimes with first pass that that kind of that's kind of what keeps me reading. I'm like, how are they still around to tell this this story? You know, like I want to know. It's nice to know that your your favorite character doesn't die um, the entire time you're reading, but other times you want to keep that stuff uh, secret. Mm-hmm. You know, and also with like the past tense, um, it adds like a small element of distance. Um, for example, the Farseer books, the Robin Hobb books, which we talk about. Um, they have a very, very distinct framing device of the main character telling the story later. Um, and you get that through the, I'm having a brain fart. What's it called when they have the little, <laughs> the little thing at the beginning of the chapter? Um, I don't know what that's Epigraph. called. Epigraph. Epigraph. Oh. <laughs> I think it's an epigraph. The thing that's at the beginning of the chapter, you get kind of get the sense that this is like a diary or him telling the story later. So you get that kind of like narrative reflection of you can have that like you know not quite as explicit but like that i didn't know this at the time but um whereas present you don't get that you have like you are living exactly what the narrator knows at this point in the story which depending on the type of story you're trying to write can be very helpful yeah um so i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about like some of the reasons i kind of did some research about why people don't like first present so I was going to kind of bring up some of these and see your thoughts on on these reasons. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait because I used to be one of those people. Yeah. So I'm I'm ready to prove it wrong. You know, I'm ready to say no. <laughs> um, the first one is just that a lot of people aren't used to it because it wasn't as common for a long time, especially in particular genres. So, for example, fantasy for a very long time was always past. It was just kind of a convention of the genre. So a lot of people aren't as familiar with it and they read it and it feels jarring. So that's one of the main critiques. I do feel like in fantasy, it's a bit harder, especially if you may have a magic system because it's hard to describe a magic system through first person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you have to be a very specific kind of writer to be able to do that. Um, I've seen it very few times where I actually like it. Um, you know, and as when there's a magic system involved, if there's not yeah. a magic system involved, that's not so bad, you know. And that makes sense because, especially in, I was just thinking in the first past, it's that framing device that we were talking about. Like the author can be like, "Hey, I'm going to explain this to you because I'm telling you a story." Whereas in first present, yeah. nobody's telling the story; it's just existing. So trying to be like, and that's actually one of the other notes I have here. So we'll kind of segue into that, and then I'll come back to the other reason people don't like it, which is that world building without breaking POV is very hard in first present, especially in speculative fiction, because it's very hard to be like, (laughs) here's how the world works. I already know that, but let me tell you without it sounding really just, just jarring. It sounds very odd when it's just like, well, you know, it's like me telling a first person present story being like, I go to the mailbox. That's where the mail is delivered. It's like, well, we all know that. So it's just a very odd thing to like try to weave in that world building element 
without it's true it's seeming weird in first in first especially but then also in present it's extra hard but it is possible it is possible i'll i'll add on to that that it gets even harder if you want to do an adult first present Mm -hmm. because the thing is about um first present in fantasy specifically um, when you have world building to do, when you have a magic system to be learned and a character is talking a first present it or first pass, it feels like they're learning with you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that you see a lot in YA, um, where, you know, you have a character who's actively growing. Um, and I know that I wrote a book a couple nanos ago, Malice, uh, you know, that I tried to write as an adult, you know, fantasy in first person. And then it just turned into YA because it was... It, this girl was learning a undiscovered magic system and there was just, it was so difficult with my knowledge um, of, of writing at the time to make it seem like, you know, it was for adults. Cause I felt like I was explaining a lot because she was learning, you know, she was coming of age and I was like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. And I'll actually, kind of go a little bit when we do our samples about one of my kind of like sneaky ways around that um the world building without breaking pov um i almost use a sample from the book i'm revising but i decided to go with something else instead um that doesn't quite show it as well but i'll still talk about it um let me see what else did I have. Oh, the other reason people can find first present jarring. And this one actually surprised me. And I actually heard this from some some friends that I'm pretty close to who write very well. And I just never considered this because it wasn't something that occurs to me. But it's that some people find both first present and first past jarring because of the I. It's like, I did this. And in their brain, they're going, well, I didn't do that. Mark did that. And so oh they're they're finding it hard to like, find the disconnect between themselves and the character when the pronouns are first person pronouns and i just had never thought about that but i'm like it makes sense and yeah it, it does make sense but i mean also you have to remember that you know when you're reading a book try to separate yourself from the book don't mm-hmm. Don't be in the book. Just separate yourself. <laughs> Come out of the world. Just be not yourself when you read that. You know, I think I think that sounds almost stubborn to me. <laughs> Maybe someone will smack me for saying that, but I'm like, no, just just take yourself out of the picture, okay? Focus on the protagonist. Now, I will I will agree that people, um, especially who do not write in the genre often or or try hard not to um tend to use the word i way too much like it's i it drives me crazy when i read it in published material um the i everywhere it's just like come on stop <laughs> like you got this it, um it does depend on yeah i think how well the i is used mm-hmm. but i also kind of wonder if the the disconnect between the 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 i'm not the person has to do with how different brains work. Yeah. Because I almost wonder if some of it is just like how people's brains are wired. Um, because there are some yeah. things that I just will never wrap my head around. I just can't. Um, just different like math concepts and stuff. I'm just like, I don't get it. So I kind of wonder if it's just one of those <laughs> things that some people, it's just they're just not wired for. And so it's, it's jarring very to well them. could be. 
Yeah. Um, but it was just something that I hadn't, hadn't even considered. And I'm kind of curious. I did not ask anybody and I should have asked what those people do with second person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Like, did, are they imagining someone telling them a story? Do they hear a narrator in their head? Like, but, but that would be the same difference as, you know, seeing the narrator yeah. say I. So that's why it's like, well, cause you know, I have a, but I get it. I don't yeah. like reading non like nonlinear fiction for the same reason. Like a lot of people love it when a story is not linear, but I have a really hard time with it. And some people, I guess, you know, uh, they have a hard time separating themselves from the I. I can see it being an issue, but seems like a very niche amount of people that yeah. would have that problem. But maybe I'm, I'm crazy. I'm know? see. I saw it a lot. Like I did. Like I said, I did some googling about like why people don't like first present, and that was the most common one. Is it was like it's not me, huh. and I'm just like. I never thought I, of that because I always just I've pictured never it as like that you're you're like <laughs> riding along, you're like a passenger. You, it's not you, but you're like you're like just sitting in their head, like a little like robot, like right, you know, like yeah. you're little the guy operating the robot, <laughs> right? So yeah, I guess for me it helps to hear the character talking in my head, like yeah, I guess like it's almost Maybe, like somebody telling you the story you just happen to be telling it in first or in present I'm, I'm curious if those people have trouble listening to audiobooks because like i can see uh if some if i have that issue reading audiobooks might be easier because you're actually having somebody else do the talking instead of doing it in your own head one so. of the people that mentioned it i remember audiobooks coming up but i can't remember what they said ah oh, shoot i know <laughs> i'm terrible because I remember it coming up, and I think I remember that person having problems with audiobooks as well. So I don't remember. Huh. But anyways, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting, because, yeah, I didn't even consider that. Um, let's see. Do, do, do. Oh, and next is going to be pitfalls that you commonly see. And you already mentioned the one about the people overusing I. <clears throat> Um, yes you want to vary that up um too many eyes uh and also kind of along the lines of too many eyes this kind of goes hand in hand is a lot of times there can be a lot of action so it feels like stage directions so it's like i closed the door i ran down the room or you know ran down the hall i turned around i and there's a lot of like action beats in present tense because people i think think that it's it, it, you know, it needs to be immediate. So they're like, I do this, I do that, this happens, then that happens. And mm -hmm. it starts to read like a screenplay a little bit. Um, yeah. And so sometimes you kind of want to like balance that with some It's a hard balance to do, but it can be done for sure. And then the other side of the balance, which was the other pitfall, is this is that very delicate balance. You've got screenplay. And then the other side, you've got too much navel gazing. Navel gazing everywhere. <laughs> First present loves to navel gaze. There's a lot. Of, and I think I think part of that is a response to the fact that you're stuck in first present. And it's just like, yeah. well, I've got to make this feel mm -hmm. much I, I'm I'm bad at this. I Yep. And and I have I have, I have a <laughs> I have an anxious character in my book. And so like the first thing I want to do, somebody with anxiety, is to put down all the things that I feel into this character. And then it's so funny because I have to end up going back and like removing like several hundred words at a time because I'm like, no one, we don't need this, <laughs> like, you know, because it's all navel gazing. And a lot of times the reader can put that stuff together um, on their own without you telling them to do it because everybody knows what that feels like. Um, but it's that, it's the difference between showing and telling, you know, like 
show the anxiety instead of telling us because then the reader can look at them doing the character doing a thing and be like ah uh, they don't know it but i know it but they're experiencing depression <laughs> you know like <laughs> that kind of stuff and that makes it fun for the reader so we will see a little navel gazing in my excerpt uh but i'm oh, gonna kind of show so how i work around that i how i put it in and i think i sneak around it and make it work but i, I I say I think it may not so we may go into this with some we may end up doing some critique anyway <laughs> I'm curious do you want to just read yours first because I noticed that the next thing is info dumps and mine is actually um mine is actually about the info dumps so my my little segment okay so so if we want to we're yeah. talking about navel gazing yeah I can read mine we can talk about navel gazing and then we'll read yours and we'll talk about how you deal with info dumps yeah Sounds okay, great. that works. So let me switch screens here to the editing screen. We're going to hope. I think I have yours pulled up. So yeah, we're going to scroll down. You didn't see that. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read this out loud and then we'll kind of talk about how I handled some of this navel gazing issue with it. Uh, for those who have read Cambiare, this is kind of a little bonus scene. Um, it doesn't happen in any of the books. It was something I wrote just as like a side thing to learn more about my villain. Uh, this is from the perspective of one of the villains, the uh, queen of the Unseelie fairies. And so you don't need to have read the book to get this, uh, but it'll just kind of add a little bit more flavor to it. So uh, every year my hatred for this day grows. The strange compulsion that leads me out here each winter cannot be fought or reasoned away. Nearby, an enormous grove flourishes, fed with a hundred she-corpses, a mass grave for the many I've slaughtered during my reign. But Ravila rests apart from the others, her bones tangled in this lone willow's roots. The bark is rough against my palm. A bitter wind whips aside my cloak and stings my cheeks. The matching burn behind my eyes is an unwelcome sensation. The queen of the Unseelie does not weep. Except today. Tears of rage, tears of grief, but never tears of remorse. Decades later, I can still feel the knife sliding into her stomach, the warm blood spilling over my hands. In the memory, Ravila's defiant glare turns to shock, then horror. You died with my name on your lips. It didn't need to happen that way. If only. If only it hadn't been for that human, for her betrayal. A familiar anger flickers in my chest and a snarl curls my lip. Was he worth it? The question is always the same, and so is the answer. Silence. Ravila is long gone, her traitorous blood on my hands. I won a crown on that night of violence, but I'd also lost her. No, not then. She was lost years before, the dagger merely a period at the end of a long, miserable sentence. My hands move to rest on the hilts of my blades, my comfort, my power. One of them rings out as it leaves the sheath, carving a single notch on the trunk beside last year's mark. Eighty-four of them now. Until next year, my beloved. So this is almost entirely navel-gazing. Navel <laughs> But I mix it with like action beats yeah. and I mix it yeah. with the present. So I'm mingling her thoughts about what happened then with what's happening now. So like when you just start getting a little too like into the memory flashback, then it's like, okay, no, now I'm touching my knives in the present um, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to kind of mingle <clears throat> current action with the navel gazing and just make sure I break it up with that. And that's, that's honestly how I handle the navel gazing is I'm just like, oh, I'm going to think a lot and back to the present. Then and we're going to reminisce a little bit yeah. and then back to the present. It works. 
It works because you're breaking it up with action. And that's what people forget to do. They just have these long paragraphs of feelings and nothing's happening in the present. But once you mix stuff happening with the present and you combine those feelings with that, then you get perfectly good writing and it's fine. Yeah, I think that's part of the is the the issue with the navel gazing is people lose where you're at kind of they lose the scene yeah sure you kind of you, it starts yeah. going a little white room i don't know where i am anymore wait where were we yeah. uh, so by constantly kind of grounding it back into the scene that's kind of how you can be because that's really the point of this scene is navel gazing <laughs> yeah that's the whole idea was it was me getting into the head of my villain and like her backstory and kind of playing with that and like her motivations. And that's actually was why I wrote this was to get into her motivations. So, but yeah, like tying in those little snippets of physicality with it kind of help snap you out of it here and there to where you're still in the scene. So that's how I think I handled it. I don't know if it's effective, but I tried. It is effective. <laughs> it, it is effective. You know, it, it doesn't read like, navel gazing because it's you know it's navel gazing a little but it's mostly just a, a character having an experience of emotion and while there is navel gazing involved there's also other things involved and that's why it's done right it would be wrong you know it would be wrong if it were just no dialogue no action no no anything but i can feel this moment especially because of the way that the scene is laid out right up front it says nearby an enormous girl flourishes fed with a hundred she corpses. That's a very, uh, that is a very desperate description of a very sad place. Like, and then, and that puts you in the scene. You're in the scene. Your character is sad. She does stuff, <laughs> more scene, more feelings. And that's how you do it. You know, like you got to mix it. You got to mix it in. You can't just have all these feelings and nothing happening. And the other thing I'd like to point out that um, I did not count. At one point I counted, I think there's three eyes, maybe four. Let's see. I There's some mines in there. I won that's... a crown. And then. Yeah. My doesn't ping my radar as much as I. But there's there's points where I actually deliberately change something that wasn't I. So, for example, yep. like the. My hands move to rest on the hilts of my blades. It's not, I rest my hands. Or there's a part where it's like the bark is rough against my palm instead of, I place my hand on the rough bark. Uh, a snarl curls my lip instead of, I snarl. Um, so there are like times where like drafting it, I'll put all the eyes in and then I'll go through and be like, yep. okay, there's a lot of, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. Let's break them up a little bit. Because this, yeah, this is yeah. after some revision. <laughs> Yeah, you, you want to draft with eyes because when you're drafting, the whole idea is to get the idea down, right? You don't want to sit there and be like, hmm, what can I use instead of I? No, just write it down first oh, and yeah. then go back and, you know, remove it later. <laughs> don't kill yourself over this stuff right now. Yeah. It's not worth it, you know? Yeah, that was all in the first draft um, of this. So, yeah, don't, don't worry about it. This is the same thing with most of our stuff is most of our topics are for revision <laughs> they're for yes. revision and they're things that as as you start to absorb them you will start to incorporate them in your drafting but like subconsciously yeah um but if you're consciously going oh no i can't use an eye don't worry about it just just write the i word write the i sentence exactly. and 
just, just write it. Fix it. Later. Just do it. Um, yeah. So yeah. So that was mine. Um, and awesome. you said yours is kind of dealing with info dumps, so I'm going to scroll <laughs> yeah. up to well, yours. Yeah, well, before oh, you switch to mine, because I want to talk about it before anybody tries to read it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should have done that, too, um, but I wasn't thinking. <laughs> no, we, we did talk about okay. it before you brought yourself. Um, I think. I don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> I don't remember anymore. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, there's this issue also with um, first person um, that's a big issue and hard for a lot of people to overcome, which is info dumping especially because if your character is walking down a hall and they've been in that hall a million times or they've seen that person a million times um they're not going to often think very much in detail about that person which is a huge um folly of first person because like if if your character is looking at another character and starts being like her eyes are brown and so pretty and her face is so smooth and her hair is so curly it's like okay you're doing this uh, but you've seen this girl a million times so why are you thinking so hard about this person um it's like so the inf- the descriptive version of the the man this is where the mail comes <laughs> yeah it's like that you exactly. know you know she has brown curly hair why are you yeah. noticing it now? like if i were to see my husband at the end of the day i wouldn't be like he has dark hair. I'm like, well, I already knew that. <laughs> right. So it's the writer's job to sit there and try to convey a scene that maybe this character has seen a bunch of times to a reader or a listener who has never seen it, but he wouldn't be thinking about this per- this new this this person he's seen all the time. And he certainly wouldn't be thinking at length about them because this happens all the time. So um, the way that I get past this, and this happens with a lot of things, whether it's a setting, you know, or, or a person uh, to be able to describe something like that without feeling like you're making the character say things or think things that they wouldn't think otherwise. The thing, I think the biggest thing about it is to have, have them experiencing an emotion about this moment Mm-hmm. And have that come through in the voice of what you're writing. Um, because even though you've seen her walking down the hall a million times, what is your character thinking when they see her walking down the hall now? Like, she's walking a little stranger than she usually does, where she usually has this very quiet step. Today, she's walking very loud and deliberately. And I can't help but wonder, what is wrong? <laughs> you know? That's that- one thing I do is, is like, the contrast of contrasting yeah. either with things are different today than they usually are, which is why I'm noticing them. Or if it's like something kind of new and you don't want it to be like super pre, not preachy, but like describey, you can contrast it to something that's familiar to your character. Um, but the other thing you were talking about an emotion. Another thing I do is if your character's like annoyed by something or whatever, you can be like, if it's the same thing, but it's something that annoys them, they can be like, oh my God, she's chewing her gum again. And yeah. so then they know that this character yeah. always chews the gum, but you get the, they're like, oh, you get that, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the editorializing of like, I can't believe she is chewing that goddamn gum again. <laughs> and so then you exactly. get personality with it, but it's also telling us a thing, but there's also a reason the character would be commenting on it because they're like right. annoyed with it. <laughs> right. And the reason I chose the excerpt that I'm going to share today from the book that I'm currently working on is because... Um, it is such a, um, it is, it is a mundane moment. 
Um, and I think the mundane is very hard to get across yes. in first person. Um, because, you know, sometimes the new stuff isn't happening. Sometimes you really are just introducing a character to your to your reader. And that can be very stressful, um, especially if you don't have a new thing to talk about. Or maybe the character is not annoyed by the gum. So in this case, what you're going to you know hear me read is a character who's sitting <laughs> in a lot of stress and having to deal with this um, his uncle uh, who is sitting across the table from him. And it's the first time the reader's seen the uncle. And so I want the reader to know certain things about his personality so that they can start to hate him a little bit. Um, but also, I think, just kind of leeching off of some of my protagonist's like maybe I wouldn't say hate um, because he doesn't hate him, but just some of the, the 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 feelings that he's having as he's looking at him without necessarily having real feelings. Um, this sort of voice comes out, and and when you're reading it, it makes you feel like I feel like there's a beef with this character. I don't know what the beef is, but it's there. Um, just by the way that it's worded, because you'll 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 hear that some of the sentences are very short. Um, they're you know terse. Um, and that's kind of what I was trying to get across. So sometimes you can do it just by changing the voice a little bit. So I'm going to read this. <laughs> Try to get through it without coughing because my allergies are really bad today. Yeah, I know. Because um, I, <laughs> I was there. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty so. bad. I never thought returning to Kansas would be a relief from my allergies. But there you have it. Ragweed's a bitch. It is a bitch. So, okay, I'm going to yeah. scroll back up. All right. There we go. So I arrive in William's office a little less than two years before his death. He sits across the desk from me, alive and handsome. Very handsome. The kind of handsome that wears a gray pinstripe suit, light purple shirt, and a red tie. It is still somehow dazzling and as commanding as someone wearing all black and white. A rigid nose and assertive eyes. Narrow faced with a dark comb over in the most stylish five o'clock shadow you've ever seen. I doubt he's actually my uncle because he doesn't look a touch Korean or black. He's a real life Don Draper, a distant cousin, maybe somewhere on my father's white side. He insists we lunch together before chatting. A good meal opens the mind, the doorway of great discussion, he says. We eat sushi from a downtown fish market. Fresh, expensive. What a privilege to be eating from the outside. Sushi is a rare is rare at store and only happens when a guest chef or culinary student specializing in Japanese cuisine visits. Too bad there's no enjoying the taste with our impending conversation looming. It's going to be bad, so best not to overindulge. You must eat, William says, scrutinizing me, dripping soy sauce onto a dragon roll. You're thin as a rail again. I force down a few pieces of Philly roll, despite my lack of appetite. And that's it. I like, this is that contrast thing that we were talking about, where your character is noticing things because they are slightly out of the ordinary um, because it's fresh it's expensive it's a privilege that they don't normally get so that makes it like something remarkable something that's worth mm -hmm. noting but that also tells us something about what the status quo is without directly yes. saying well normally we have this just yes. saying hey sushi is a luxury is telling us what the normal is yeah so I really like that. I think that's that's a good way to info dump in first present is to remark on what is not the normal and let the reader figure out the normal. And uh, in the same way, um, the way he describes this man in the first paragraph um, makes you feel like this is how he looks all the time. Like 
this is a man who is always like this. Yeah. And I never say that. I never say that straight up. He dresses like this every day. I never say that. But because of the confidence in 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 uh, Theodore, um, Theodore's voice at this point, um, you get the you get the uh, the idea that he's thought about this man quite a lot, and he dresses like this often. Um, yeah. you, you don't need to him to say that. Um, so that, that, that does a lot more too. So then, than just being like, he's sitting across from me, the dress the same way he always is. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you don't need that part because your voice is doing all that work. For and you. that is the kind of thing that once again, I would probably put in a first draft and then just trim out later. Um, yeah. Because the first draft is always just kind of you sorting out the story for yourself. Um, so I would put that in, in the first draft. I'd be like, he's dressed fact, the way he always you know, is. In fact, it might have been in my first draft. And, <laughs> and I thought to myself, no, like we don't, no, we don't need that. Let's, let's try to figure out how we can do this so that it seems very convincing that William is always dressed like a douchebag. <laughs> no, like, I, I, let's I, call him Don Draper, <laughs> you know, like. What, what what better way to make someone come out as a douchebag full time, you know, like. I think actually even regardless of your tense, that's actually just a random, like not specifically related to first present. But one of the things I'd like to note is to trust your reader. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of first drafts I beta read and they're in my first drafts too. I mean, they're, they're, it's always in first drafts is over explaining things. Um, and mm -hmm. one of my common beta comments is, I figured this out. You don't have to tell me <laughs> in a yeah. very nice, fr nice way. But it's because as a writer, you're trying to explain things to the reader because you're going, okay, I've got all this in my head. I need to make sure you see it too. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard to gauge like how much people are putting together on their own. Um, yeah. But readers are pretty smart. And so a lot of times, yeah, like I said, a lot of my beta feedback is like, I, I connected A and B. You don't need to tell me that A and B <laughs> are linked. Um, and that's going to vary between reader to reader. Because also, on, on the other hand, I can be a very dense reader when it comes to, like, specifically plot things. Uh, mm -hmm. I am, like, just not the most on top of it reader. And in our critique group... Uh, very commonly everybody else is like oh yeah i got that and i'm like i didn't <laughs> when it's plot related <laughs> so you kind of have I to balance too, like yeah. what your readers are going to get and what readers aren't going to get but not telling them something really obvious can be really a good payoff for readers because it's that it's a thing i, I don't remember where i heard this it was another podcast or a book or something i think it was a podcast that was talking about how people like the little the little serotonin boost or dopamine boost, I don't know remember which one, of solving a problem, which mm -hmm. is they put A and B together without you telling them. And then they're like, ah, right. I have solved a puzzle. And you get that yeah. little like jolt of like, I figured a thing out. And so not telling your readers can sometimes actually make the experience more enjoyable for them. Yeah. And, and it doesn't always have to be a problem. Uh, like for instance, I am having a really hard time writing this book right now because there is an aspect of esports involved. <laughs> and esports is something that not everyone knows about. And fortunately, we my say character... on Twitch. 
I know. I know. Unfortunately, my character doesn't know much about it either. Um, so basically, the only information that the reader gets about esports is what he knows, which is not much. So it, it's it's a constant battle of me being like, is someone going to pick this up and see that esports is involved and like hate it because they don't know what esports are? Like that scares the shit out of me. And it's really hard not to overcomplicate it and not to overwrite in esports because I'm trying to like, you know, give a give a 101 on what esports is in a few sentences to a reader that might not know much about them. But also you have to remember, and I have to remember as a writer, apparently like the last League of Legends championship or something like had more viewers than the Super Bowl usually does. Like, you know, like people know these things. Like, I don't know. I don't know how they know these things because I feel like I never meet them in real life, but they do. Like, We have watched know, esports tournaments. Uh, I don't remember what we used to have like actual live TV. We don't anymore because now we've moved to just streaming. Right. But we used to have an actual live TV and I don't remember what network it was, but it would show like the League of Legends tournaments. And we'd be like, okay, so we would just watch it. Um, right. We would watch See, games would we didn't expect, actually. I would never expect you to be doing that. Yeah. So, like, we would watch games we didn't play. That. We would watch <laughs> like Counter Strike and shit. And I don't play like first person shooters. Um, but we would watch them when we'd be like, okay, let's watch the esports. So right. And see that you you telling me that has made me feel better because I'm like okay even people who don't look or act like they watch esports have watched esports like I think it's just weird you know it's weird to think that there are other people out there who understand what the fuck you're, <laughs> it is you're talking about I think you know, that may like, actually make it more challenging it? sometimes because in your case there's an aspect of something that people in the real world are gonna know some people in the real world are gonna know and some aren't. Um, my biggest challenge with my my first person present book that I'm working on is it's entirely speculative. It's entirely fantasy in a second world. And so nobody knows these things. So I know I have to explain some of them. But like figuring out how to do that, because in your case, it's like balancing what people may know and what they may not know. And mine is like knowing they don't know. <laughs> But being like, how do I not over explain shit? Mm -hmm. And the, like I said, the making things notable because they're different than the usual and therefore kind of explaining what the usual is without actually saying it. Grounding it in emotion. Um, the scene I did not share today that I almost did is a scene where they're kind of going through a religious ritual and it's a religious ritual commemorating an event in their worlds like religious history or lore so it's basically like the equivalent of like a nativity play um so to them it's all like old hat they all know what it means so my main character wouldn't be like ah this is the part where the baby jesus comes out because we all know that <laughs> um instead it's the main character being like this is what's going on internally with my internal conflict with like the actor who's playing the, who's playing the Virgin Mary. Um, it's like dealing with like the internal things that are emotional outside of the nativity play. And that's just kind of like the little framework that's happening. Um, and that kind of helps. Once again, it's the navel gazing. I go to the navel gazing as like a go-to to make the scene feel lived in. Um, while giving info dumps 
So I don't know if that works. We're going to find out. We're going to find out when I'm I send sure it to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see if she says if it needs work or not. Sometimes that's the best you can do. If you don't have an agent, send it to a reader. Send it to to CP. Send it to a trusted CP, of which I have several, yes. and I am very lucky to have. You are one of them. Yay! Yeah, I, there's like three or four people that I'm like, I will send it to and be like, tell me your honest opinion. Is this complete garbage? And you will honestly tell me if you think it's garbage in a nice way. I will. <laughs> like, as nicely as possible. I, I love you, but this needs work. Um... But yeah, that's that's kind of how I deal with it is it's 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 very much a balance and first person presence is a challenge in that you really have to hit that balance. I think things like third third past have a little more leeway in that balance just because there is that extra step of distance. There's an extra step of distance in the point of view being third person and an extra step of distance in it being past. So you kind of get a little more like mental wiggle room from the reader in like, okay, you're over explaining this, but it's, you know, it's, it's past and it's third and we don't really understand who, not really don't really understand, but we like know who the narrator is and who the audience is. And it makes sense that they'd be explaining things. Whereas first present is the most intimate tense and point of view convo or combo not combo combo um so you just have less wiggle room on everything the reader's going to be a lot more savvy about going this isn't something the person would think in the moment so you just yeah. have to be a lot more clever with that balance of the navel gazing the emotion the info dump what they're noticing and it's 100% doable and when you do it it's worth it but it is hard <laughs> yeah yep and it's going to take more revision passes yep it happens that's why you have to revise you know yeah it's just going to take it's one of those things that this is the first book I wrote entirely I, I'd written shorts like the one I read today in first present but it's the first long form thing I ever wrote in first present and it took some passes yeah, it's, it, I, I am going through the passes myself now. It's not easy. There's a lot of uh, hurdles and, you know, but, but jumping through them and making things better and smoothing them out makes it worth it. I think in the end, because you get a pretty good, uh, pretty good product. And, you know, my honest opinion. Yeah. I think deciding the big thing is deciding what tense to put your book in and why, and knowing why you're picking first present, um, this actually came up in, so I made a, I made a tweet that was like, I'm going to rewrite my book. And my agent like responded to the tweet, like, do we need to have a talk? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, maybe. So we had like a little Skype conversation and in it, I discussed why I wanted to do a rewrite. And we, we agreed that it was actually a good idea for this book. Um, but in it, I was like, since I'm rewriting anyway, do I need to change the tense? And point of view. And my agent was like, well, why do you think that? And I said, well, I really like first present, but I know a lot of other people don't like it. My agent's like, no, why did you put it in first present? And I was like, well, because one of the elements in this story is a mystery and it makes that mystery feel more intimate. And yeah. the same thing with the first person. I wanted it to feel like a really personal, intimate story for this character. And my agent is like, if that's why you did it, 
don't think about the people that aren't going to like it because there's always going to be people that didn't like it. And we, we kind of, yep. we, we went over the fact that I was like, yeah, there's a really, I won't mention it here because it's very controversial, but there is a very beloved series of books that I do not like. And it is entirely personal. It's not that they are bad. It's that I don't like the, the voice that's used. It's a personal thing. Uh, but I mentioned that I was like, yeah, it's good, but I don't like it. And my agent's like, yeah, some people aren't going to like it. No matter what you yeah, do, a, some people aren't going to like it. Have a reason for what you're doing. Yeah. Have a, you know, make sure you know what you're doing and why. Like the reason that I went uh, with first present for this one was because my character has an eidetic memory, but it's like mm. fantasy eidetic in that it's uh, like everything he remembers, like it basically feels like it's present tense. Like it, it, he doesn't remember things like normal people remember them. He re-experiences things. So that's why I decided to go with first present here. You know, you want a reason um, for what you're doing. I didn't know that was this character. You had mentioned that you had a character who had eidetic memory. Yeah. Which for those who are listening or watching who aren't familiar with that term, it's basically photo, photo memory, photographic memory. It's uh, like total recall. Yeah, perfect yeah. recall. Um, I know because I have a character that has it too in the Kambiari series. But you had mentioned you had a character with eidetic memory. I didn't know it was Theo until just now. It's and Theo. that makes yeah. a lot of sense with the first person or with the first present. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, like you said, it's it's reliving them. Um, yep. so yeah, it's just it's thinking about why you're picking whether it's first present or first past or third past or third present, thinking about what those tenses and POVs are bringing, or if you're doing omniscient. Um, omniscient can actually bring a lot to a story. It's it. We may do an episode on that because that one is the, <laughs> <laughs> that one. I haven't even tackled. You've kind you you have tackled. I um, have I have some omniscient written. Yeah, I I love it. It is so fun. It's it's so fun. Um, but also it's super hard. It would be so. really hard. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, we may do yeah. we may do an episode on omniscient. Uh, at some point, but I'd love to talk about just omniscient. understanding when you decide on your book. Once again, you don't really have to decide this in the drafting stage. You can fix it later. It can be a lot of work because you're going through mm -hmm. every sentence and changing the subject. You're going through every sentence and changing every verb. Um, it can be done. I have done it. Um, it sucks, but you can do it. <laughs> um, but if you think about it ahead of time and just going, okay, present's going to bring you immediacy. First or like present's going to bring you immediacy. Past is going to bring you a little bit of distance. First is going to bring you really like intense emotion and personal stakes. Third is going to give you just a hair of distance from that. Although third person can be extremely limited and extremely close, uh, depending. They're just each bringing different things to the table and kind of understanding what you want to bring to the table. And if you write an omniscient, you hear all the shit <laughs> from everyone. I really want to write an omniscient sometime. The, the two best examples for people who are listening and aren't as familiar with omniscient, the two biggest examples I can think of in popular media are Dune. The Dune, Dune. series is omniscient. Also, a lot yeah. of fairy tales are omniscient, but the fairy yep. tales are omniscient, but they have a very distinct narrator usually yeah. that is not in the story. It's like yeah. someone telling you the story that's like... Let us tell you the tale of so-and-so and so-and-so and, -so and the magic thingy-mabob. And we don't write like that in books because books are not a campfire. Yeah. Although <laughs> it has been done. Diana Wynne-Jones. I, try, I tried to do it with my last book. You'll remember I tried to write I loved that it. Sort of 
fairy tale omniscient. Okay. I'm like, I hate this. It's we're so gonna, bad. Like, we're gonna have a moment where I talk about fairy tale omniscient because one of my absolute like top three books of all time is written in fairy tale omniscient, and it's Howl's Moving Castle by Diana ah. Wynne Jones. It is very fairy tale omniscient, and the narrator has a very distinct personality. Even though we, you just. It's just like the narrator at the very beginning is like, oh, and I'm going to paraphrase. I know I've read it like a hundred times, but I'm going to paraphrase and anybody who's read the book. Don't come at me. Um, but it's something about like Sophie was born the middle of three daughters. And as anyone knows in a fairy tale, being the born the middle of three is like basically a death sentence. <laughs> That's how they say it. But like you're basically fucked if you're the middle daughter of three. But it's very like commentary. The narrator has a personality. But the narrator's not, like, in the story. And they're commenting on the story in a very omniscient... Although they do actually kind of follow Sophie. But it's... I can see liking that. If yeah. The, if the narrator has a lot of personality, I can see that working really well. Yeah. Which is probably why I did not do it right when I first tried it. <laughs> I, my, my narrator just didn't have enough anything. Yeah. I will <laughs> you know? say that, like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually not nearly as omniscient as Dune because it does really follow Sophie, but it follows Sophie from, like, the perspective of a commentator rather than, Dude, like, yeah. in her head as much. It kind of floats in and out of her head. Um, but it doesn't, Dune like, from, jump from yeah. her to another person's brain like Dune does. Dune just jumps all over the fucking place. And it's just Dune like, is remarkable. That that author gives you everything. And you're still yeah. somehow interested a little. Yeah. There's, like, scenes where there's, <laughs> so like... Sometimes there's some scenes where you're not so interested. Yeah. But, I'll admit I didn't, but that's fine. <laughs> I didn't love Dune. But um, there are scenes. There's, like, one scene that's, like, I think it's, like, a dinner or something. And you're, like... Just jumping from head to head to head yep. to head, like person's thoughts to this person's thoughts. Yep. And that can create something really interesting and omniscient because you're getting everyone's Everything. motivations. Yeah. And that's very like, yeah. it's an interesting thing to play with because it's like if you were watching an Agatha Christie play from the beginning, knowing everyone's motivations. Yep. So once again, it's just, it's knowing what each tense and each point of view is going to bring to your story and which one is the best and first present can be the best even though a lot of people hate it <laughs> people are getting used to it though it's getting to be more popular it is getting Don't to be more popular. worried about that well it was it's funny getting... because when i was spoiler alert i visited dc in like a uh writer's retreat this past week and when i was visiting dc was like i'm trying to think of books i'm like addie larue and then <laughs> apparently i had forgotten that Addie LaRue is third present, not first present. So for some brain reason, my brain was thinking first. So sometimes you can kind of misremember. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, third present isn't much different than reading first present. Yeah. I, it's, you're just putting a name instead of I. It's a pretty close third one, present. Yeah, like I, I, I like Addie LaRue. It's good so far. And I would keep reading it if it had more of my kind of vocabulary. Yeah. Like there's something about it that just isn't matching my style mm -hmm. so i'll probably hold off on it and probably read it later when i'm working on something else i tend to do that because i tend to accidentally emulate and i have to like not change the style of my book I mean, it's already too far in to be doing that. in the pre-pandemic times i went to a convention where there was an agent there who had talked about um reading and not reading things in your genre while you are writing and they said it depends on how much 
you feel like they're going to affect what you're writing and if you think it's going to be negative or positive. And like, are you that person who goes to visit somewhere and then comes back with an accent? And I'm like, that's me. Yeah. And that's writing wise what I do. And so I do try to kind of in some way match what I'm reading at the time I'm like actively drafting, not so much when revising, but I try to match like what I'm reading to what I'm writing, at least in voice or style or something so that I'm like, because I'm, I tend, do tend to absorb those things. So in fallow periods, when I'm like between projects is when I read the things that are like way different than what I write. Um, and then when I'm writing, I'm reading those authors that have voices similar to mine who are writing the tense I'm writing or the POV I'm writing or have a, like a vocabulary similar to what I want to use because I just kind of like osmosis absorb that like a sponge and then just seep it out. Yep. So anyway, uh, final thoughts. I think I've said everything that I possibly could. Yeah, me too. This, uh, I've been very verbose today. Sorry. You're fine. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think I've pretty much said everything. So if there's anybody um, in chat are, that has questions. I I, I haven't seen any activity yeah, today, so I'm just going to conclude this. Um, our next episode will be on September 17th, and will be a discussion about writing out of passion versus writing from obligation. Join us at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time or check out the audio version after. And I have to turn my page because I was not prepared. Sorry. I. <laughs> this is a very strong drink. <laughs> I apologize. It's very delicious, though. Um, anyways, you can find everything you need at our website and it's writing.com. Uh, look us up on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere else you listen. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you go over to iTunes and leave us a review. iTunes is where a lot of the algorithm pulls things from the internet weird wizardry. So leaving us a review there really does help other people find us. Um, and if you like what you're hearing, join our Discord group. Uh, we have a Discord group now. Uh, just go to our website for more details on how to join. And thank you for joining us. And we will see you again in two weeks. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye.